I've got two people in the studio today that are Gen Zers. They're passionate, and we are going to have a conversation. Thank you for tuning in to another podcast of Step Up to the Mic. My name is Corey. On my right-hand side, my good man, Rick. Hey, Corey. <laughs> I never know how to, like, do that, so Sorry. it just sounds natural. Yeah. yeah. Rick, what's the word of the day? Gen Z. Gen Z. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. I'm, I'm, here to, I'm here to be educated, but also um, really interested because I feel like... Uh, we have the future in front of us. Absolutely. And so I've got two passionate people sitting across the table from me, uh, Mike and Isabel. Um, so so as a listener is listening in, I'm going to try to set some context up. Who's at the table? Who are you? Where are you from? Things like that. And maybe we'll say some ages so kind of people can feel a little bit who's at the table. So Corey, 34, from Cleveland here, about three years old of staff here um, at Off the Wall. Rick. What would you say? I'm almost 65. 65. So I, I'm technically 64. So I'll just okay. So 60, 21 plus whatever those years are. From I'm, a, I'm a baby boom, boomer. Baby boomer. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, I'm a millennial, and then we got some Gen Zs we'll talk to. Yeah, cool. uh, you're from Cali, right? Mm-hmm. Where at Cali? Venice, Venice, California. Boom. Awesome. And you've been in New Philadelphia for? Four years in July. Four years. Um, we'll look at Isabel. Isabel, where are you from? How old are you? Uh, I'm from Chicago. I have been able to legally drink for six months. <laughs> um, awesome. What was the last part? Uh, and how old are you? Twenty-one. Oh, duh. Okay, that makes <laughs> sense. Gotcha. Yeah, yep. I'm stupid. So <laughs> that's cool. Awesome. 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 Mike, what do you got? I'm 21, born in England, raised in the suburbs of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Mm. Gotcha. Cool beans. Okay. So everyone. We all have one big thing, in co- well, a few things. We all love Jesus, um, but also we are all outsiders to this area, correct? And we come from people places, like like populated, <laughs> city, diverse yeah. places, right on? Which which looks very different here in, in the rural community of Ohio, right on? Mm-hmm. Um, real quick, Isabel, how did you come here? How did you get here? I know it's through off the wall, but just really briefly, tell us a little bit about that. Um, I knew a bunch of people, not a bunch, I knew a handful of people whose lives were changed by off the wall, and I was in a place in my life where I knew that drastic change had to happen. Hmm. That's awesome. Mike, same question. I kind of got a ditto on that. Okay. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, when someone says, hey, you guys are a part of Gen Z, you're the Gen Z generation, like you hear that a lot, uh, what's, what's like an immediate reaction you get? Me and Isabel don't like being defined or put in a box, so I imagine that that she probably feels the same way I do, where it's like, don't you tell me who I am, you don't know me kind of thing. Right. We also kind of fall in the gray area between millennials and Gen Z, we're like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the 95 to 2000 is like, we're too young to be millennials, but we're definitely too old to, like, be classified as Gen Z, like, we didn't Mm. experience the same things they did growing up. Mm. You know, we were too old to be a kid, like, in the late... Y2K. Which I just read an article yesterday about the next generation called uh, Generation Alpha. So that, think about that for a second. Um, 
And you guys are friends, right? You, you guys, you're not like boyfriend girlfriend. You're not married. You're, you're just good friends, right? Just so, I'm just giving context to the listener here, so they're not like, are they? No, Mike's in love with my boyfriend. <laughs> what do you mean by that? So that was a joke. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> just so everyone's listening, I do love her boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a cool dude. Cool dude. Shout out to Luke. Um, <laughs> so cool. All right. So we kind of set the te- uh, the scene a little bit. Um, let's jump in. Uh, I, if you're listening to this, I pretty much put them on the spot, was it yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, um, starting this podcast, I would love to know what you're passionately, like if you if you had a microphone and you had 45 minutes, what would you talk about? And um, so we kind of worked that out a little bit, and I think you guys landed on something you'd want to talk about. Is that correct? What, what would you say that in a title? What would you title your conversation today? Morality shaped by politics. Boom. Would you agree with that, Isabel? Or would you add anything? It was Mike's idea. (laughs) (laughs) I can talk about anything. So who wants to go first? Take us there. Just get it started. Break the ice. Let's talk about it. Um, Well, I had the idea because of the events that are going on in the world right now. And I've seen everybody start to... It's kind of been a, a trend, I suppose, across the entire history, honestly, where where politics or, or the government or or wh- whatever term you want to throw in there has started to shape the way that the, the general populace, the proletariat per se, views the entire world. And we see now how, as politics begin to get more divided, how people's morality are being sh- shaped by a political party and perhaps not even their own, through their own intellectual integrity working through morality. It's become very much my, my, I support this party. I support these few ideals. And we, especially in like elections, right? Think about the things that, that we focus on. There's like two or three hot things. That's all the politicians talk about. Mm. So suddenly everybody's caring probably more than they otherwise would because, you know, if you say something enough times and loud enough, people are going to start caring about it. Right on, right on. Isabel, what would you say to that? Anything you piggyback off that or? Um, I just think it's also perpetrated by a lot of propaganda that's not even, like, well-thought-out propaganda. It's just people posting on social media. So it's uninformed propaganda. Hmm. What would you say if a listener was listening to this going, they're 21, barely 21, they don't even know what they're talking about. What would you, answer, what would you say back to that in a very polite way? What do you mean like, I don't know what I'm talking about? That's like, what I would say. <laughs> I love it. And not that I'm thinking that. I just wonder if there's some ignorance out there from people that think, well, they're only 21. How, 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 do they, how do they even know what they're talking about? You know what I mean? What would you say back to that listener I, I in a graceful ha- way? That happens with every generation. It probably happened with that listener, too. They were probably sitting right here Amen. in the same spot that <laughs> I am, you know? And, and it's like I grew up in the world, and we get passionate about things. I think one of the things that our generation definitely, I remember you said this yesterday, when we, when we see an issue that we, we, we deeply, truly care about things, we're very, yeah. I don't know if, if you call it an emotional generation, but we're definitely a passionate generation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, especially for the, a lot of the things that we fight for, a lot of them aren't even things that people would disagree about. They just get upset that a 21-year-old's saying it instead of a 50-year-old. Mm. That's good. You got anything? No, that was no. good. Okay. <laughs> Wait till she gets started. She's it's gonna be awesome. Rick, what are you observing from Mike and Isabel as you're watching them lead us into this conversation? Well, I'm just seeing this the stark difference of me at 21 because I'd already been working in banking three years and uh, 
four years actually. Um, and I saw that the corporate life and not even the focus on education of getting a certain degree, it was really more about you got to get on with your life. You, you, you're going to need to start raising a family at this age. There was still a lot of that 1950s, um, mm. kind of like naive, you know, you got out of World War II and you get back into working and there was still a lot of that carryover. But what resonates to me is probably more what Mike said about if, if someone says, hey, we're anti-abortion and you need to go with us and we want freedom of religion and you need to go with us and then the other side is doing this other thing, it does become this tug of war. And we had Johnny Boyd in here and he's saying, I don't want to follow either one. I want to follow Jesus Christ. Right. So if he's who I report to, he's my party affiliation, then it puts us in a really interesting dilemma, particularly as to how we vote. Um, but I also know that if, if there was a government that was anti-abortion, excuse me, for abortion, and I felt the opposite, then the only thing I could do is literally try to talk people out of getting abortions in front of an abortion clinic. I mean, that's, that's the activism piece that came out of the 60s and 70s. So I think um, I see the passionate side I, of your generation. I see your value system much better than what I had at 21 because of just all the other things that were going on in my life. But I just, I wonder, like, what's the call to action? So yeah. what, what, what brings you from discussing it on a podcast to actually right. what are the things that you will do or want to do? And then it's up to us to figure out how we can help you do it. Yeah. It's kind of how I see my generation is you got an idea. I love it. Let's move it. Let's go. Let's get our resources together. You may have the idea and the momentum. We have the resources. So how can we move that along? I think that's kind of how I see my generation standing with your generation together saying, I want to, I have a 10 year old son. So I've got a lot of skin in the game <laughs> as far as <laughs> what I want for him. And it doesn't look anything like today looks, you know. Well, do you guys have any ideas? I can give you something that came into my mind. I don't. This might <laughs> yeah. be controversial, but I. Think it is called step up to cool, the mic. Cool. I think you know the I mean? American dream is bullcrap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think in Amazon. general. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, Sorry. Yeah, because you're from you're from uh, nah, England. Let me, can right? I? Let, yes, All I right, was I'm born sorry, in England. Let me let me, <laughs> <laughs> let me explain this. Okay. Get, let me get explain. Get some context. Yeah. I don't. Especially those were my keys. That makes a weird sound That's on the mic. Noise. Sorry about All that. All these kind of noises. But those sound pretty good, though. <laughs> it, uh, on social media, you see a lot of people just, like, flexing their money everywhere, right? And there's mm. a weird thing that starts to happen in your heart where you're like, oh, I want that now. I want that now. And I think, especially from the generations past, I don't think this is as much a thing with millennials. And I, 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 I it might be more common in my generation. I'm not sure. But uh, our whole lives, at least the... Um, the standard or the good or the the straightforward way to do things is, is like Rick said, you know, it's it's get a job, it's forward this, forward that. And it's like, I don't really care if I'm a millionaire. I don't mm. want the house with the white picket fence. I don't care about it. <laughs> like, I think my generation truly wants to change the world. And everybody freaking says that. Yeah. But I'd rather make a difference in like three people's lives than go and make $30,000. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a lot more value in those three people's lives and those $30,000. I'm just going to waste on clothes anyway because social media tells me to. Right. right. I don't know if that's like 
common for people in our generation, though, to be like, I'm okay with changing three people's lives. Because if everyone thought that way, like, we wouldn't be in the middle of a mental health epidemic. You guys have been in a discipleship ministry that's kind of been telling you that for the past year. So I've always kind of felt like Have that. you always kind of felt that way? Okay. Uh, Isabel, keep going with what you're saying, though. Well, like, people of our generation, especially because of social media, are, like, obsessed with clout or, like, fame. Yeah. Um, and if someone's listening and doesn't know what clout means, explain I, that real fast. Fame. Okay. Um, just like 50 years ago, there were like some celebrities and then a bunch of normal people. And now anyone can be a celebrity. There mm. are thousands of like celebrities. Everybody wants like, to be famous. Yeah. And you get these like tiny doses of fame from social media. And then like politics, once you have like a little bit of fame on social media or the internet or whatever, mm-hmm. you're going to distribute propaganda based on politics that you think is going to get you more followers or people are going to like you more, say that you're intelligent or say that you're woke. Woke meaning? meaning Woke to current issues. Current issues yeah. Gotcha. Cool. I'm always, I'm learning this new language of everything. I want to, I want to follow up on, <laughs> we're starting a mental health campaign to help mm. a lot of the resources here to get connected. And, yeah. and, and we're seeing, at least in this county, a stigmatism about even asking for help mm-hmm. and, or they don't even know they're on the fringe because they, they have to have like this medical diagnosis to, to somebody to tell them, well, you're, you know, you're suffering from clinical depression. What, what's your view on like the temperature of the mental health of Good your question. generation right now? Good question. And not just yourself. I'm just like the, like the universe that you walk in or, or the universe that you're connected with. What, what would you say? So like, this? It's an undisputed fact that mental health is a way bigger issue in first world countries than it is in third world countries because, you know, if you're living, like, wondering if you're going to have clean water, you, like, don't have, like, time or energy to think about, like, do other people like me? Like, what did this, like, one thing that my parents said to me 10 years ago, like, what does that mean? How does that affect me now? Like, you don't have time for that. And I feel like, I don't know if this is accurate, but this is what I think that it's like a built-in fail-safe to the human condition to where if we don't have to rely on God for, like, our health, like, if we're sick, we go to a doctor, we don't pray. That's not our first thing. Mm -hmm. If we need money, we try and find a job, we don't pray. If we need food, we go buy some, we don't pray. This is like a built-in, like, if we can cover all of our, like, physical comforts on our own, we can, like, figure that out by ourselves, then there's going to be something else where, like, you can't Mm -hmm. operate without God. You can't have it all. What do you think about the view of you, you? You've been around the, the so-called artsy scene in quotes, <laughs> like I have, right? And there's mm-hmm. almost a glorification of depressive thoughts oh, to the point sure. where now I've even had the thought myself where if I don't if I don't get down, where's all my substance going to come from? When I'm writing a poem, sometimes I'll listen to sad music so I get sad enough to write a darn poem. Right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So what do you, what do you so think? Like, so I, don't think like that a I don't think that mental health itself is being glorified. I think that art coming out of mental health is being glorified. And then the like really negative side of that is a lot of people fall into like romanticizing mental health and then not making art or not feeling fulfilled in it. And then it just is like this spiral because like art made from happiness or art made from joy, that's not worth as much as art made from pain. How do, you, how do you feel about, so the generation I grew up with is you you may have broken an ankle, but let's give it five days and see if you have a broken ankle to 
oh, you say you're ADHD, so we're going to start you on this series of, of, of drugs without even confirming the diagnosis. So mm. where, does, where does your generation fit as far as, like, that discovery of do you need help? Do you not need help? Are there other ways to work through it? I mean, I think artists have a phenomenal ability to express through their art. And we had a we had an artist in here. Uh, her name is Sarah Bigler, and she said, "I can't sell my art because it's my life." And I could literally see these episodes of her life, and I could understand why she went one part with them. One, they were very painful, but the other side was it was her story, and and that's her possession. You know, mm-hmm. uh, no one they may buy it because you like the color or because of just the imagery, but they couldn't take that part of her soul, kind of thing. So I'm just kind of wondering, like, as far as just how do you, because now you're in discipleship, so you're you're working with people who are mirrors of yourself, and and how do you, I mean, what, what are you seeing as far as what are they going for, other than Jesus, where are they going for that fix or, you know, that source of relief? What, what, do, what do you see? Well, I think like any other generation, we were shaped by the generation that parented us, mm-hmm. and that was a generation that for the first time had access to like, like anyone can go to therapy. You know, like if your kid has an issue, you can fix that issue. You can send them somewhere, get drugs and it's solved. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying like this, that's every parent, but it's like a general, like it's a very common thing in our culture to be like, there's an issue with my child. There's a specialist who can fix it Mm -hmm. instead of being like, how can I help you as my child? You know what I mean? And so our generation grew up with like, there's someone else who can fix every one of our problems, but there isn't. But there are things that can make you forget about your problems. You know, I, I was 15 or, or 14, and they were loading me up with Klonopin and stuff. And I, I, I'm for medication, but there comes a point where we're abusing it because we don't want to actually help the person through the problem. We want a quick fix. We'll just throw a benzo at them and say, okay, anxiety doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Just, just lazy work? Yes. Yeah. For me, at least, in my experience. Yeah. Especially when you're a kid. Mm. There are so many studies that, sh- like, before your brain is done developing, you should not be taking medication that alters the way that you think because your mm. brain will forget how to think on its own. Wow. Not, like, think in general, but, yeah. like, it yeah. won't be able to produce serotonin on its own. It won't learn to do those things on its own. Have you seen that effects in other people? You know, some of your friends or people from back home? like My sister. Okay. Okay. Like, what what would be one of those effects that? Um, well, she's like struggled with severe anxiety her whole life. Like, she used to not be able to sleep because she was afraid of people with like amputations. Okay. Like, it was very, very, very intense. Mm. And she was just like a diff. It was like so sad and weird to see like an eleven year old just be like a different person mm. because she was taking these like she was taking anxiety meds and ADD meds. So here's a question I often like to ask. I just, I, we recently asked on the other podcast we just did. Um, the church can help, finish the sentence. The church can help by. You mean in this mental health, they can help? Yeah. Understanding that every person is an individual, has individual needs. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I was just going to say being there. I think in terms of, I, I told, I remember I came to, my, my last therapist before I came to Ohio, I told her, I don't trust any of you guys, because I don't know if you actually care about me. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're just here because it, it's your job. Do you actually care about me? And I think the second that switch flicks, mm-hmm. 
and suddenly I can see the person in front of me cares about me and not even for, for money. They're not being forced to be there. They're just being there. And of course, every Christian isn't going to be a counselor. I feel like we, we're getting a little carried away on that, at least mm. in my experience at Off the Wall, that every Christian thinks, because I know your Enneagram, I'm going to be your counselor. No, you're not a therapist. You saw the Enneagram. You're not a therapist. <laughs> I love you, Mike. Step it up to the mic. Enneagrams are horoscopes for Christians. (laughs) I kind of like them sometimes. Well, it's interesting to say that because uh, I didn't, I went, I was Catholic for 12 years and had some really difficult encounters with priests who I knew didn't care about me, but because it was kind of more your, your identity, your DNA, like, I'm not white, I'm Catholic, was kind of like how we would describe ourselves. Mm. And then, uh, you know, at 49, I'm sitting in this church in Simi Valley, and this Chinese guy's like talking to me. And I'm going, this guy cares about me. And he's speaking to me in a language like I've never heard before from any person of a pastoral background. And I had to go back the second week by myself because I went, I thought they set me up. I was in the first row with family. Um, of a girl I was dating and then the next week I went back and he just got off the stage and sat next to me and talked to me before the service and said hey how you doing what's going on with your life kind of thing and uh, and I don't know if you know Francis Chan but Francis was kind of like a guy who just showed me the face of Christ in this caring way that I felt like I want you to baptize me there was was that relationship hmm. you know there's this Levi the Poet, I absolutely adore Levi the Poet. And he has a line that says, if it wasn't for love, I never would have come back. And that was my situation. I had a bunch of stuff going in in college, and and I was in kind of a low place. But I I felt love, and that's why I came back. Mm. Love is the thing that that, that I saw from the Christian community that I couldn't get anywhere else, honestly. Not like it was my little, like, Jesus is real because this person loved me. Of course, that's kind of idiotic and... Describe that love that you're talking about. Like, give it practical. So, you want a story? I can give you a story. We love stories here. Okay, so I came off the wall. I was visiting with my friends. um, Smoked weed on the way up here. Smoked weed the night before. And I went to this. There there was a chapel. I think it was a Tuesday night. And I was sitting there. And everybody's, like, worshiping. And I'm like, where am I? This is a cult. Like, what is going (laughs) on? I'm sitting in this chapel. I've never even seen people. I went to a Christian high school, but I wasn't Christian. They just had a good soccer team, honestly. (laughs) I I might have described myself as Christian, but I didn't understand the way that my life would change when I actually made a conscious decision to follow Jesus, right? And I came to this chapel. And after Don Stubbs, the leader of the ministry, he comes up to me. He says, are you all right? And I'm like, I mean... Not really. He's like, all right, come talk to me. And then he took me, he took me, you remember that hoodie I had with the yeah. roses on the oh, side? Yeah. My dad threw it out, but I missed the heck out black, of that. It black, right? Yeah, yeah, I wrote a poem about that hoodie. <laughs> I absolutely adore that hoodie, and I lost it. But he takes me into the little nursery room, and I, I pulled the hoodie over my eyes, and I just start bawling my eyes out. And he's like, what's wrong? And I was like, you know, I made a decision last night to kill myself in two weeks. And then it just from there, it hit the, the, the Don walked out the room, he went and asked Caleb and Andrew if I'd be dealing with this before. I, I met him before at a, yeah. uh, there was a conference that he did at UPCC down yep. in Pennsylvania. Yep. And I was trying to argue with him that like marijuana is the cure to all anxiety. <laughs> um, <I was> <laughs> but that's how I first met him. And, and he showed me this love and he invited me over his house. And he said, I just think you need to be loved. Just come out here. And I came out here and suddenly I start 
turning up at also John Buckley. I used to turn up at his house all the time yeah. too. But Don was kind of number two of that. The hospitality of if you want to come over, just come over. That's something that I never really experienced before in terms of my house is your house. And I started turning up at Don's house and, and hitting him with these freaking existential questions that he probably didn't even know the answer to. He's like, who the heck is this kid? I was an arrogant little douche, just like thought I knew more than everybody because I went to college and my dad's a scientist. And, yeah. and I come here and he shows me a love and he walks with me even through the stuff that he doesn't even understand. And I know that I always have somewhere to go. I know that I always have somebody. No matter how stupid my problem is, I can go there. So I don't even know if that's a good description of love. It's a very hard thing for me to describe. Love's such a weird, like, intangible emotion or, yeah. or feeling. People say love's in a feeling. Whatever it is. I don't care. Love, right? The word. <laughs> I, I felt it that night, and I felt it over, over enough time where I was like, all right, I, there's something here. This isn't normal. It really isn't. Mm. Do you, do you think, coming back full circle a little bit, do you think that what you just said in context and everything, which was awesome, is why maybe you wanted to come in with this conversation about the moral issue and the politics? Because I, I, I'm kind of working out my question here, but, like, um, I, I'm not going to dance around. I'm just going to say it. Do you, do you think, like, the temperature right now is it just, like, it kind of feels like no one cares for people that need cared for? And, and it just triggers something inside you going, man, we need that. We as the church should love broken people perhaps more than we should love anybody else. Hmm. I, I adore broken people. I don't know why. Jesus put that love in me for very, very broken people yeah. that I probably didn't have before. But there comes a point where it's like, I understand. No, I don't understand, but I, I had my own experience of, of where you are and you're so low down to the floor. And there's mm -hmm. some, I'm not even going to say where, who on the political spectrum is right falling on. there, right. but there's definitely people that are falling there and they're like, you know, just get up, get up and go get a job. And I'm like, you ignorant son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea yeah. what it's like. And, and maybe they do, and they just lost that because they've been interacting with this certain political whatever for so long. Right. They lost their freaking empathy. They lost their love for humans. And they'll go out there and call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> yeah. Isabel, we want to hear from you. No, I like fully agree with Mike that I think like the distinct, like we talk about how Christians should look different and like mm. the life of a Christian should look different than the life of, you know, other people. But I think that the key factor in that is love, 100%. And I know that, like, having someone who loved Christ just, like, love me and stand by me through, like, me just making the same mistake over and over again and, like, turning my back on God over and over again and just having that person be there every time to remind me that God hadn't turned his back on me, mm -hmm. like, literally changed my life. Do you have a story? Any kind of like Mike, do you have a story recently that you would be willing to share of someone that kind of did that with you, walked like with you, um, showed up, showed love to you? Can you think of well, anybody? Luke. Okay, like, yeah, talk a little about Luke. I was in like a really nasty place for like a long time, just like dealing with stuff with my parents where I was just like literally a wreck constantly. And I had never like until that point in my life, I was, like, 18, ever experienced someone who, like, genuinely wanted to, like, listen to my problems mm -hmm. and wasn't, like, well, you need to do this and you need to eat healthier and you need to, like, 
talk to your parents about this and da da da. He was just like, just pray. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and he was like, you know, he would like sit with me while I was crying, just like sit next to me. And he would have to like leave at 5 a.m. to take the train to go to class because he would be sitting up all night while I was crying. Like he would just. He tried to diagnose you. He just. No, he he's just, just was, there. He was just like there. And he was like, I'll just like hang out with you longer. And he would like sit next to me and play Minecraft because I just <laughs> didn't want to be alone. Yeah. Yeah. Rick, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? No, I, I just, uh, I have a great appreciation for you guys being here because uh, I have a son at home. He's my stepson, but he's my own. He's my own. And, uh, you know, he's struggling. And I'm the parent, right? And then I'm seeing the other side of his potential. And I don't know how to reach him, if I'm really honest with you. Um, we we've given him a lot of space to figure things out and we went from overbearing to now hands off and we're just totally like he's 10 no this is my he's now going to be 24 oh okay so and so now i've got this 10 year old i'm trying not to repeat you know the sins of the past so what's what's the difference and and Joshua, who's 10, is somewhere on the autistic spectrum. So, mm -hmm. And so we know he thinks way differently than any of the other kids that we've had. Um, all very athletic, and Joshua just, like, wants to put his cars together and <laughs> in, in order by bumper size, you know, in, in color scheme or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's just this relatability. I'm just trying to make a connection, and I can't see it through his own eyes. Um, and I... I can't wait for him to hear this podcast because right. it's just, this is where I feel like we've got to have this honesty of this conversation yes. is what's missing and we can't pull it out of him. We've tried. And uh, I just appreciate your openness to just bring those kind of things to the table. And, and I think what you're describing with Luke is what we want to do. We we don't want to fix, but mm -hmm. it's we are a fixed generation. Yep. You know. Yeah. Yep. So how do you like almost remove what you've learned and stopped and just not do those things again? Because you just you know, if I'm your parent and I love you and I want you to be happy, then I just keep pushing and trying and do all those things, and I don't even realize I'm you're you're backing away from me um you're questioning because like you're gonna say to me why is your life so good <laughs> because i'm seeing all the the the, the um, brokenness and things that you experienced and you want to fix me i mean that's how i see it so i think it's to me more it's the empathy level in our country and all around us is is basically somewhere along bottom mm -hmm. and but love creates empathy because when you love somebody, you're just loving on them. Don didn't like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He, he, the fact that you're, you're a very bright young man, and I, and I think you would be a challenge for any pastor, even in Don's, <laughs> in Don's yeah. world. Yeah. But he just loved you. Right. And listened. And that's what you described in Luke. And I think that's the skill that's missing is phones, texting, social media have all replaced this human interaction, which I think with COVID is forcing everybody to realize what they've been missing out on for a long time. I say we've been suffering from COVID-19 for probably 30 to 40 years 
because we've been distancing ourselves from people. And I, I don't even know what you're going to title this podcast anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, and I, I'm not entirely sure where your son's at, but it, I know an experience of my own. There was kind of a dichotomy with my parents because they want me to run to them, but at the same time, I don't want to, when I'm not purely entirely, like if I'm not rock bottom, I don't want to worry him too much. Mm-hmm. So there's a weird kind of dichotomy, especially with parents. And, and they even get upset now that I can't go to them, but I'm like, I, I I can give you some information, but sometimes mental health just is the reality of people. Mm-hmm. Depression and, 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 and anxiety and whatever the heck I have, I don't even, if I even, anyway, wh- whatever label you want to put on it, it's just my reality. And I, I've learned to, to cope with that. I, I've learned to walk through that. And over time, of course, you know, I, I'll get worse, then I'll get better. I'd say the general trend is, is moving upwards, but I think especially the, the parent-to-child relationship was a very, very weird one and perhaps a very distinctive one in terms of how parents can relate to kids through mental health. Okay. Because I'm sure that, I, I know with me, my mother is the most loving woman in the world. Mom, if you ever listen to this, I love the <laughs> heck out of you, okay? you have. I love your parents. <laughs> I want to get a beer with your dad. And it, I, I don't want to make my mother too worried. I love that woman with all my heart. I do not want to make her too worried. Mm. So it's a, I, I don't even know how you approach that. I'm glad I'm 21. I don't got to think about kids for a while. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, let's think about the title of the podcast, right? So doesn't that begin in the home? So you think about the world and everything that's going on in the world, but if, if we could make the home healthier where those things were happening naturally, then wouldn't that kind of bubble up to society and we wouldn't have these political battles because these same battles are happening around the dining room table, right? So, but I do feel like we've forgotten how to love. We've forgotten how to love unconditionally. And, and I think we've gotten caught up in a religiosity as to what our doctrine is instead of really living it. And, uh, and I think that's what actually differentiates loft the wall discipleship because I feel like they know how to walk alongside you because they're going to move you back out into the real world and they're giving you that foundational, um, like how to do it. My, I guess my, my rant would be, we have a, you just call mine a rant. Well, I don't know. (laughs) We're all kind of ranting here. It's beauty of a podcast, but, um, like, and I know I'm about to rant, so, (laughs) um, uh, compared to other countries, uh, we don't we don't even know what hospitality really looks like. We love our privacy. We love our things. We love our schedules. We love saying no, <laughs> and and having the privilege to do that. Um, and so, I, I what I've been convicted on and learning is that um, I need to get creative and I need to get a little bit more intentional on my hospitality, even in conversation. Even and with people that I'm walking life with, um, it needs to maybe look less meeting-ish and more just re- relational. Okay. And I'm learning, too, that maybe w- coming from someone who's just an opinionated just person that's always got something to say, maybe, and, and I'm learning this from you, Rick, actually, how can I ask a question, them answer, and then let it be? Okay. I have a question. Yeah, yeah. If you were going to start a church right now for your Gen Z generation, what would it look like? Um, awesome. No one would ever say the word potential. 
because I think that that's a really the word inherently isn't dangerous, but I think the way that it's used um, as far as education and just as far as raising children, I'm not accusing you of this. I know you use the word potential. No, I talk. I that's part of my vocabulary. So um, <laughs> I'm not. I'll feel accused. But just like I grew up being told that I was constantly not living up to my potential, and I know that's not an experience individual to me. I know a lot of people have that. Where like oh, like, this wasn't good enough, like, you're not living up to your potential, and you're just constantly going to be in this cycle of, like, I'm not as good as I should be, or, like, I can be better, and I'm just not doing well enough, Mm. and it's my fault, like, I could be doing better, you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. and then there's this mentality, like, we got to bring out the potential in this person, and then the parents feel like they're failing, because they can't bring out the potential, but if you see that potential, I'm using that word so much, just trust that it's in that person, it's not your responsibility to bring what you see as potential out of somebody else. You just have to trust that they know where they're going and when they need help, they can ask you and you can ask if they need help, but don't tell them what to do because then they're just going to, I don't know. I love that thought so much because I've had a very similar experience where I feel like I never can live up to the standards set for me. I don't know if anybody can live up to the standards set for them because nothing ever really feels good enough, does it? No. Yeah. In in terms of something, I suppose I would add like that. I don't know. I, I feel like we just got to study early church history, man. Yeah. Because there's got to be a way that it was set up. And it ain't like it is right now. I can tell <laughs> no, you just, that. Just open Acts 2. <laughs> right like, going like, I don't right even recognize this like, place, right? From my beginning yeah. study, why are there like cliques in a church? I get friend groups. I get that. But like me going over to Don, that should be a general darn experience yeah. of the church, I feel like. Don't you think? And well, we love our privacy, man. We love We love our, we love things that we can control. And I can control a click, right? Like, put me in a different scenario in a different different culture, and I have to learn how to live with these people. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the option of click. I have the option of get over yourself. And going back to politics, there's like a huge split in the church right now where if you see another Christian who doesn't share your political views, your instant assumption is that they must not be walking with Christ. Mm. Yeah. Like, I yeah. have political views where I've like talked with staff about it, and not been like outright accused, but like the very clear argument is like, well, obviously that's not a Christ-centered mm. thought or that's not a Christ-centered opinion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just think that it's really dangerous that we're so quick to question other people's relationship with God based on disagreeing with our political standing mm-hmm. and not considering like, is this affected by culture? Is this affected by different information they've read? Because there's just a disgusting amount of false information on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm hearing a lot about, well, because I'm from California, I actually had offices in Redding, California. I mean, I've heard a lot about Bethel, you know, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden now, well, they're not Christ-based because they're kind of this extreme thing, you know. Um, but kind of going back to the question of what does, so it sounds like it's more of a home church walking life, praying for needs. Um, somebody that's just listening to just not, because we got into music production. We're in consumer, consumer church is predominantly have a great message, keep it to an hour, have a great band and go out. That's really the reality right now. And I think then there's like 
Well, if you're under 18, then you go to the children's ministry. And if you're not married, then you're not really in a group anymore. And so now what do you do? So I'm just kind of wondering, does the church look more like you and your friends together and doing what you're talking about? Or is it any, anybody from a newborn to an 80-year-old person you know, in your living room or in a living room doing church? What, what does it look like to you that well, you would feel well, compelled to go? Well, I don't think that, like, I'm not sure how on board I am with mega churches. Yeah. But I do think that diversity within a church is absolutely necessary. Yeah. Because it's so easy if you have, like, a very narrow group of people to teach improper theology theology and have it go unnoticed Mm -hmm. and people will be like eager to agree with it because it justifies what they think like if you have a church of all republicans and you start um mm, never mind i I understand where you're going with it yeah heat it up isabel no i understand where you're going with it (laughs) do it um no okay Okay. (laughs) maybe off the podcast (laughs) 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 um i just think that that's really dangerous Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't doubt, see, the hard thing is I don't doubt that the big shows are drawing in people from our generations. That's why I find it tough. Because like you said, I, I maybe don't, I don't like being put in a box anyway. Right. Probably too much. I probably try to not be put in a box. Yes. So I, I don't yeah. doubt that that's bringing in people, but I know the thing that changed my life is what I experienced at Off the Wall. I wish that every church functioned not not like the off-the-wall ministry in terms of the way that it's set up, but in terms of the relationships that it starts to form mm. and the groups it starts to form. And, of course, you're always going to have closer relationships with different people. Right. And I, I love the music, honestly. Like, some of it's freaking sweet. I see somebody yeah. tear it up on the drums. Like, dang, that dude's <laughs> awesome. So I'm not even saying that that's yeah. – it doesn't feel inherently wrong to me. But I feel we may be focusing on the wrong things, and thus we may have created a whole entire generation of nominal Christians. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. now everybody from the top is looking down saying, why is, my, why is my flock acting like this? Look at what you set up. This is what you set up. Come on Sunday, we're going to play you some sweet tunes. I'm going to get you through your week. <laughs> like TED Talk style. Yeah, I'm going to give you a little dose of Jesus that you feel like your salvation is covered and you don't have to think about it again. Mm. Right. But I think also the danger of megachurches is that it's so, it's like a very sip, slippery slope to go from a church to now it's just like a business. Mm-hmm. Like you see um, megachurch pastors wearing $6,000 sneakers. That's mm-hmm. a bad look for Christians. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to Preacher Sneakers I, on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> so so one, one of the things I wanted to like, so this is a good conversation for maybe some input from you folks. So when you and Caleb had spoken word that night, Someone asked me, well, what was that? I go, that was church. <laughs> yeah, I, again, I love the heck out of Levi the Poet. If you're listening to this and <laughs> haven't listened to Levi the Poet, hey, I, will, I would love for him to follow this podcast. I will, That'd be great. I will plug that man until the day I die <laughs> yeah, because yeah. he's probably the reason I even yeah. got into spoken word. Uh-huh. But there's a way that the spirit can work through things like that that are very honest. And even if it's not, who cares if it's not theologically correct? You know, people say all our songs need to be theologically correct. I suppose that doesn't get carried over to spoken word because it's so, it, it's obviously mine, right? It's obviously me who wrote yeah. this. Yeah. But I, I felt the spirit work through multiple different pieces of, of even art. And I, I agree, that is church. You know, there's, 
there's so many different ways that we can get together and share ideas that isn't just, and I think that's probably even the, your passion in terms of this place. There's so many different ways that we can get together and share church ideals other than a, a Jesus TED Talk. Right. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's also like... Like a podcast. With spoken word, a lot more emotions are brought up than we usually experience in church. Like worship mm. songs are like, pick three different feelings. It's like, <laughs> God's got you, or you're broken, but God's going to save you, or... Victory. Just like victory, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, yeah. Which, not that those are bad, right, but why right. don't we have worship yeah. songs about like, we're angry, we're going to, like, we're going to battle with sin. Like, we don't yeah. have those. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like, we don't experience emotions that aren't like feel good emotions as a church or we do rarely i've experienced that in the branch church a little bit but mm. i don't think it happens very often and it definitely didn't happen ever at other churches for me well when i listened to like megan bowman or austin camban or slam poetry we had slam poetry guy turned <laughs> off all the lights grabbed the lamp that's awesome and it was like he screamed and everybody's like and we had grown men crying because the message was so powerful wow. and it was their life you know because when I, what I heard you was your testimony coming through. Does that make sense? So I connected with you in a way that you playing a Bethel song, even though I love it, the music, isn't the same as your story, right? And I feel like that's one thing that I'd like to see more of is this creativity to connect the gospel and how Jesus has changed our lives to just, yes, I love the Bible, I love, this, I love the word, but I also feel like I want to connect with somebody that loves the word, loves Jesus, but it, we're just going to do this together because we're all going to be at different levels of that relationship, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, I like just the creative expression because I feel like it's raw, it's yeah. real, it shows the struggle, right? And I think that's when people are, I think we're lacking vulnerability right now. Mm. And we got to get to the point where we can be vulnerable again and not feel like people are like going to mm -hmm. fix us slam us but just you know love on us right yeah. i think it's curious to me that more christians don't have like some form of expression like that because i think that a lot of the christian experience is just being completely overwhelmed with emotion okay mm. i also think that you don't have to use like creativity as a ministry solely in performance like not that it's wrong it's mm -hmm. like that's a huge thing but like being passionate about music and being passionate about like writing music, you don't have to perform that. Just being able to share that with like one other person, right. using that as a connection point for even just one person mm -hmm. is really like huge. I got a quote here. Um, Dr. Dave McGlure, one of my friends here. Transformation cannot happen without transparency. Transformation cannot happen without transparency. Love that quote. Um, we're going to land the plane because we're at 46 minutes. Right on. And I love this because, guys, guys, what I love about this podcast and just uh, we need more boomers, millennials, and Gen Z at the table to have the conversation. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest with you, boomers and millennials need to go, Gen Z, teach us. Because I don't think that's happening very much right now. And um, so just to have that humility on that side. So I'm... So this is what I want. How I want to end, um, Mike. Do you have your phone on you? And is there a a poem off the top of your head right now? You'd be like, I want to read. I, I want to. I just want to throw it down. 
Me? Yeah. Like one of my stuff? Yeah, your stuff. Give me, go to Isabel first. Let me I, no, no, no. <laughs> I, so I don't I, have any phones. So I want you to process that right now. Look through your phone right now. Think, think, man, I just want to. I want to end the podcast with this poem. I got something. Okay, cool. Isabel, what I want from you right now is I just want you to give a charge to the listener. After the whole conversation we just had, what do you want the listener to know? That's So if, so if someone's listening to this right now and, and Isabel's processing that question right now, Mike's, Mike's getting on his phone, look at, stop what you're doing, chill out for a sec, take a deep breath, uh, and really hear in into what uh, these two have to say. So, so Isabel, what would you want the listener to know? I think that you should seek for, like, the desire to make other people feel loved. Not just to, like, love other people, because that can stop. That can be like, oh, I just, like, you know, I got the trash for you or whatever. Like, seek to go out of your way to make sure other people are really, like, impressed. Like, it's a pre- impressed upon them, like, that you love them for no reason and you need nothing from them. Boom. Boom. <laughs> love it. Uh, Mike, I want you to read what you got, and then we're going to be done. Can I explain a little first? Yes, absolutely. All right, so this is a full-length poem, but I'll just read you the first verse because that's what I usually do when people ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is about nominal Christians, and it's called Christian Dior. Oh, this is a good one. I'm afraid I've turned my Christ into a fashion statement, a countercultural way to once again feed my need for difference. I wear the cross like a badge of honor, boasting in a name and likeness I'll never achieve, but I guess that's the point, right? Right. But when my moralism master's relationship began to snarl at the world, I was caught with the blood on my hands, nailing my Savior to the cross once again. More ravager than follower, warrior than priest, skeptical than faithful, more enslaved than released. The to-do list in my mind has encaptured the freedom I boast of, a servant to a schedule more monotonous than productive. I made God my Gucci, Christ my Christian, his death my Dior. Thank you for listening to another episode of Step Up to the Mic podcast. Feel free to reach out to me for any questions or feedback. Hope to hear from you soon.